This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to episode number 15 of Navigating the Newsroom with Andrew and Andrew. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Andrew Robinson. And this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO TV series, The Newsroom. This week we are going to be talking about the second episode of Season 2 of The Newsroom. The episode is titled The Genoa Tip. It was written by Dana Ledeau Miller, Adam Perlman, and Aaron Sorkin, and it was directed by Jeremy Padesua. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you are not caught up with the newsroom and don't want us to ruin it for you, stop listening now. Before we really dive into things, though, I am privileged to introduce a very special guest. He is an editor for VentureBeat.com, and you can hear his thoughts on movies every week on the Slash Filmcast. Devendra Hardwar, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's great to have you on. Before we really get started, though... Andrew, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened on this episode? Um, so, so this week on the newsroom, there are a bunch of stuff happening. It feels like a lot of segmented stories all going on at the same time. We've got Jim, we're following on the road. Um, you see he's finding this little um, friendly relationship with this competitor, as she likes to put it so often. Um, you get to see Maggie, who continually is rallying to go to Africa for some reason or another. That's going to end well, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we get to see a little bit of um, Will and uh, why possibly he was so affected by being taken off the 9-11 coverage. We get a little bit more into what the Genoa Project is and just a couple more general hijinks that goes throughout the, the, this episode that I can't, I, I can't even think of what they are at this point right now because <laughs> i just listed off i think four or five storylines and there are actually probably two more there somewhere in this episode well maggie also uses foursquare to stalk someone that was pretty awesome have to yeah. admit. <laughs> all right well let's just start off and give some general thoughts on this episode devendra i'd like to start out just by asking you what your thoughts are both on the newsroom as a whole so far and also what you think of this episode in particular. Are, are, are you a fan of what Aaron Sorkin is doing with the show? Oh, definitely. And actually, uh, last season, I felt like after a certain point, um, I felt like I was the only person who actually enjoyed the newsroom because everybody I followed on Twitter, a lot of people working within media, so not just like movie reviewers and TV reviewers, but people actually working within journalism, uh, just decided to hate the show and decided to hate watch the crap out of it. Although I did notice after a certain point, uh, they really enjoyed hate watching it. And after a point, doesn't that mean you're just enjoying the show? Uh, so yeah, I really, I really loved the first season. I think it started off kind of rocky because, uh, the initial conceit, it, it felt really stuffy, really full of itself, uh, like that opening credit sequence from the first season. Uh, it, it just felt a, a little too highfalutin. And uh, in the earlier episodes, we also had some storylines that were so convenient, like uh, in the pilot, right? They have a key bit of information because, uh, what, somebody went to college with somebody working at the, uh, one of the oil companies. There was a lot of bit of like hindsight rewriting that's really easy to do now. It makes the journalism process look lazy. Uh, I do like that Throughout the middle of the first season, uh, they moved away from that, 
we kind of saw more of what was going on, and we got a better sense of these characters, which I love. I love Aaron Sorkin shows, and I especially love Aaron Sorkin characters. And, uh, you know, these guys aren't as great as the Sports Night crew or the West Wing crew, but I, I still enjoy seeing them. I still enjoy watching them go through uh, sometimes uh, good situations, sometimes pretty stupid relationships. But it's it's just fun, you know? I don't think it's a terrible show, and I don't think um, I don't think the newsroom deserved a lot of the hate it got in the first season. With this season, I'm glad to see the stakes are a little higher. I like how it opened with, you know, it's a flash forward into clearly something is wrong. They're in trouble for, you know, reporting something really badly um, or just reporting something incorrectly in the first place. And that shows a certain amount of vulnerability that these aren't infallible, amazing, you know, journalists. Also, it kind of gives us a sense of what's going to happen. I'm really worried about whatever we're going to see with Maggie. But I I like that the, uh, it just seemed like the stakes were higher. Although it's a shame that even uh, in that first episode and in this episode, we still can't get over the stupid Maggie relationship. I don't know, love triangle, love quadrangle. Now <laughs> Olivia Munn's character is in there too, so it's all it's it's getting dumber yeah. and dumber the more characters they add into this. And I really hope uh, they find a way to like make this less of a central part of the show and focus more on other things like uh, how they're wrapping in the news stories. I love the way they're tying in Occupy Wall Street. I uh, love Dev Patel on the show. So, yeah, I'm really, really digging this season, and I enjoyed this episode, um, although I feel like the pilot was a little stronger for me. Or, sorry, the first, se- the first episode of this season. Andrew, would you agree with that? I agree to a certain effect. I mean, there's something about this episode that perturbs me, but at the same time, there are a lot of parts which I adore, and I think... One of them is is what um, Devinger mentions, um, Dev Patel's storyline, and especially to do with the Occupy Wall Street. I find it really interesting that the entire newsroom itself is taking this story as such a laughable story because... Well, nobody took it seriously. Like, even I remember, nobody took it seriously back then. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of funny to look back at it, this retroactive yeah. moment, where we even get to see, they even show in this episode that, that video, the anonymous video, and now if you say anonymous on the internet, I mean, people shudder. People, people start to change passwords at that moment. They, 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 they encrypt databases even harder. It's crazy to me. And I think it might be the fact that I work in technology that that part <laughs> focuses on me so much more. That part works. Um, I don't really want to go so quickly into the, the love quadrangle, rhombus, whatever we're going to be talking about, because we, we kind of harp on that every every week within this show, because it does cause issues. I mean, I do like that we got it to a certain point this week, where it feels almost like it's not so much wrapping up, but it's giving us actual consequences for all of the, the hijinks. Things are actually happening, which is nice. It's not just... Oh, we're having silly moments where um, Alison Pill gets to shout at people and we laugh at it, as opposed to, mm-hmm. oh, that actually means something happens eventually, which is what actually yeah. happens in this episode. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of nice that they're focusing more on this, and I guess less on the uh, Will and Mackenzie, whatever unromance that was. Uh, I, I think all these romantic situations they set up are just kind of childish and kind of, I don't know, they feel surprisingly generic when compared to what the rest of the series is doing. Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the romance stuff. Actually, I had a lot of mixed feelings about this episode Mm -hmm. as a whole. I feel like I I like what they're doing with certain elements of the show, but this season doesn't quite feel like it's found its its footing yet. I, I mean, the first season 
definitely had flaws, but say what you will about that first season, it seemed very confident. Well, uh, about halfway through. It took a little while for it to get there, so right. you know, maybe, maybe the same thing needs to happen this time. Well, even even from the beginning, I mean, the show was preachy, but it kind of seemed to relish in being preachy, and, and it felt like for all its flaws, it it knew what it wanted to be to a certain extent. This season, I'm not so sure. It sort of feels like they're searching for some sort of core tone or some sort of core vibe to bring everything mm-hmm. together, and I know they're going for a, a central through line in the form of this Genoa stuff, but that doesn't quite feel like it's bringing everything together just yet. To, to a certain mm-hmm. extent... This season so far feels like a bunch of separate elements still trying to coalesce into a meaningful whole to me. So before we move any further, I just want to ask, was I the only one who laughed at the really half a second mention that they throw out to the Quickster story? (laughs) Oh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I do. I love that. It's like Netflix is, uh, yeah, they're giving up on the DVD stuff. Yeah, let's give that. 30 seconds. <laughs> it's going to be a big deal, guys. It's going to be so important. <laughs> it seemed like there were a lot of news stories that this uh, episode tried to touch on. You had all the stuff with Trey Davis. You had the mm-hmm. Occupy stuff. You had the 9-11 Memorial. You had the, the drone strikes. I mean, it's trying to tackle a lot. And that was something that I did like. It did kind of feel like a, an actual, very chaotic newsroom where everyone's working on their own stories, everyone's trying to follow up uh, their different leads. There's a little montage around halfway through the episode, and it's just of Jerry making phone calls and Maggie trying to call people about some of the violence in Africa and, and just different people going through the process of researching the news. And that part I thought Mm -hmm. was really interesting. There's a part of me that's disappointed that we're not seeing quite as much preaching (laughs) so far this season just because I kind of like that to a certain extent. We're fine without it. Come on. (laughs) Let's have a good framing device. Let's, you know, clearly something is wrong in the future. Let's backtrack and figure out this story. Well, I, I, I do like that they are focusing more on the actual process of it. I, right. I do think that that was a good replacement. You know, if we're not going to get some fancy-schmancy monologuing, then we might as well actually see what it's, what it's really like in the newsroom. There was this really key moment when you talk about how early last season everyone was negative on how convenient everything was for all of these news people. Yeah. We talk about the pilot. For good reason. I mean, the show, yeah, was written not... those All those situations weren't tied into the actual show very well. It was very clear that he was writing a office space comedy drama show, and they just kind of peppered in new stories for us to... To, to keep as a basis for the fact to remind us that we're actually working in a newsroom. You mentioned it, Andrew, and I, and I agree very much that while it's not something that the show focused heavily on, I did appreciate the fact that they, they did give us these, these background moments for the most part of you see people like Dantona. Is that his name? Dantona or Dantana? I think I'm messing that up. Dantana. Dantana. Um, where you actually see him putting in a good amount of what a lot of people consider mundane work to get to an end point, which we, which actually ends up feeling good for us as a viewer when we get to that end of the, end of this episode. Well, I also think that's important because, you know, I complained last week about the framing device, uh, you know, there's a part of me that doesn't like how we already know that something's going to go horribly wrong and they're going to get something totally incorrect. Mm -hmm. But now that we know that, 
I like how this episode did kind of show the process, did show Jerry Dantana calling people, did show them finding actual sources. So you're starting to see how an actual news organization could make a huge mistake, despite all the hard work that they've done. I think that's far more fascinating, yeah, than being like, oh man, we are so awesome. We're the first news station to break the oil well fire or something. Uh, I think it's far more interesting. And uh, honestly, the framing device is kind of interesting as well because it's like you have this uh, brief glimpse into the future, into how things will turn out. But at the same time, we're looking at all of these news events with the hindsight of, you know, history and everything we've actually learned. So we have these two different lenses where we're looking at the season. And that's that's interesting. Everything these characters do now, we're going to kind of look at it in a different way. I wonder if we're going to get more future flashbacks like throughout the uh, throughout the season. Aaron Sorkin has done that quite a bit throughout the West Wing and other shows. So I'd love to see how they play with this device. I kind of liked how they didn't continue the flashbacks in, in this episode. I think that would get a little bit tiring if it, if that if the whole season was set up that way where you oh don't be surprised (laughs) oh i'm sure i'm sure it'll come back but but i was glad that for at least this episode we just got a nice straightforward story set in one time period (laughs) about what these characters were doing i i I almost think that uh sorkin and uh, his other writers kind of wrote these first two hours together so we it this is like just the second half of the uh the first episode of the season um uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the next couple ones make a bigger deal of the future scenes. And honestly, I'd rather have more of that than Maggie and what's-his-face and the fighting and the pouting. And it's so stupid. Come on. Well, I don't know if you know this, Devendra, but they actually had – they went back and reshot these first two episodes. Oh, yeah? I didn't I didn't see that. No. Yeah, and, and Aaron Sorkin said that he actually got off to a false start at the beginning of the season, so mm-hmm. he asked HBO if they would let him do some reshoots, and they did, but as a result, that, that's why there's only nine episodes this season instead of ten. So, yeah, he did kind of go back and restructure these first two episodes, and I, I guess he felt like whatever he was doing before wasn't you know what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that you felt like last week's episode and this week's episode would work really well together it's it's i mean that's not too surprising either that's how um i think a lot of tv seasons start especially with somebody like sorkin who is very used to telling stories you know in a much longer form are we saying that we're kind of assuming that this framing device we're talking about from episode one that we're still kind of within in episode two we're going to be done with this before the season is over we're going to have more left over to go through is that what we're kind of assuming at this point I feel like the whole season is building up to this, so maybe it may be sort of like the Game of Thrones thing where, you know, the second to last episode, we finally figure everything out, and then the last episode, we can, like, deal with it a little more and see the repercussions or something. But yeah, I think it's going to last a good chunk of the season. Otherwise, why? It, It wouldn't make much sense to make such a big deal of it in the first episode. Oh, man, if the newsroom turns into Game of Thrones, I cannot wait for episode nine. It's more like Lost at this point. It's more like we see something that's going to happen. It's a very J.J. Abrams-y technique. Uh, I don't think Sorkin has done this for... I can't think if he's... Actually, he hasn't done this for an entire season, but I'm thinking of like the season three premiere of the West Wing uh, that heavily relied on flashbacks and flash forwards, and that was all over the place. Um, also, some great episodes, too. Right. Have you guys seen all Sorkin's shows, by the way? I have seen all of his shows. I, I didn't see all of the West Wing, but I saw all of the years that Sorkin was on okay. it. Okay. 
that's that's all that really matters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a lot more limited in my Sorkin viewing, but I, I'm there. I mean, I've seen News Night. I've seen season one of West Wing. News Sports Night. You're watching, I'm watching News, News Night. Night now. See, this is what happens. I love that we're watching <laughs> News Night. I watched the first episode of West Wing. I mean. Oh man, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta like at least seasons one and two, cause season one is definitely some of the best television ever made. And there's some really great stuff in season two as well. Yeah, you really gotta go check out the rest of the West Wing. It's also like to judge this show, you kinda have to see how far, this show is definitely enjoyable and it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's definitely nowhere near the, the heights, you know, the Emmy award winning levels of the, uh, of the West Wing. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to some more specific stuff that happened in this episode. We'll save the romance stuff for later, since that's <laughs> some of the more frustrating elements of the show. I want to talk about the whole 9-11 stuff, because, Andrew, I complained last week that I didn't quite fully understand why Will was so upset about not getting to do the uh, 9-11 memorial coverage Last week didn't really pull me in emotionally into into that little arc. This week, they explained it, but I gotta be honest, I thought it was one of the cheesiest things this show has <laughs> ever done, and this show has done some really cheesy things. The flashback things. into the monitor, or looking at the monitor footage. Yes, there's just like a oh, random God. guy in the control room who's like, hey, you want to watch some old footage from 12 years ago? I, I almost wonder if this is one of the things they reshot or added to the shoot or to these episodes, because it felt so natural, and isn't it just better to have that mystery of like, yeah, 9-11 really changed Will, and we can... We don't need to see it. We don't need to, you don't need to spell it out for us completely. We, I think a lot of people still have those memories of what they dealt with and that still resonates. You don't, you don't need to show it. Sort of like, uh, Man of Steel, right? Where we end up destroying all the buildings for some nice 9 11 imagery. Uh, I know, Andrew, how much you love my criticism. (laughs) No, no, no. I saw that in Man of Steel and I chose not to think of it that way. I did that intentionally just because it's, 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 so it's the same way when I hear everyone talk about it in relation to Star Trek. I chose to ignore that part of it. Ignorance is sometimes good. Sometimes, I guess. You guys, let's not talk about Man of Steel, okay? I'm depressed <laughs> enough at times just talking about certain <laughs> elements of the newsroom. <laughs> but but I, I'm kind of curious. In this context of talking about how Sorkin had to reshoot these episodes, and we're, we're even hypothesizing that this scene itself was a insertion that Sorkin put in thinking it would kind of cue things together. How much do we get in the moment where in this scene you have Will McAvoy saying, and I quote, and I don't know what I'm doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an okay moment. I just hated how they led into it. And I, I, I don't really think it was necessary. I think if they had just told us, if they had had characters mention to each other, oh, did you know that 9-11 was Will's first time behind the desk? I think that would communicate all we really need to know. Because we, mm-hmm. we've already seen that 9-11 was a big deal to him. I mean, if you go back and watch the Osama episode, I mean, it's clear that that was a very, very important day for him. One of the best episodes of last season, by the way. Do you have anything that you want to say about that? Well, I mean, I'm just curious. 
Did you did you not care for it? That was the one where he was high, right? Yes, he was high. That was amazing. <laughs> I Come believe on. that was Andrew's least favorite episode. Oh, this is why, by the way, Andrew just consistently disappoints me with his tastes. I <laughs> you see you see here if you see here us on Twitter. Here lies yeah. the thing, and and I felt it in this episode, and I wasn't going to go there, but because it's it's not, I don't feel anywhere near as bad about it as I did with the with the Osama episode um, last year, but. I wonder if Sorkin is almost tricking the viewer. Like he's, he's harping on this, this moment where we, where people are going to pull in their own emotions as opposed to the show having its own value with us. That's why it's worth pointing out when things like Man of Steel and Star Trek (laughs) use 9-11 imagery cheaply. Like you're pulling at the heartstrings for no reason. Like in this show, it's actually more appropriate in this show than it is in either Star Trek or uh, Man of Steel. But at the same time, like, um, I mean, I guess we can't have a straight-up flashback. Although, has the show had any straight flashbacks at this point? We have the flash-forward, and I guess this entire season is a flashback, but have we had any flashbacks to the earlier lives before the actual show started? No, we haven't. Maybe they're trying to just keep it within the framing of, you know, let's look at everything through the news. Always through the news. Yeah, that could be what they're going for. So dumb. Yeah, in this case, that did not work. I'm sorry, there's no reason anyone would just decide to randomly look at that footage from 12 years ago. (laughs) I will say, however, that regardless of how those kind of things play for me, I do feel like this moment was kind of a, a nice little moment, because when they come back and they're just watching the tape, they're they're even watching pre-Will um, actually being on air, and he's talking with mm-hmm. Charlie, and there's something about getting to see a little bit of that relationship between Charlie and Will in the early stages that I liked, and I found interesting. It just felt so forced. I would bet money this was one of the scenes they went back to reshoot, because it just feels so stiff and weird and forced and, I don't know, so cheesy. All right, well, moving on, I, I want to talk about the different news stories that they're trying to juggle here. They're doing the Troy Davis story. They're doing drone strikes. you still got Occupy in the background. It's been really interesting so far this season how, as I mentioned earlier, there isn't as much preaching. You know, you don't have as many scenes of Will in his office or wherever just saying, here's this story, here's how I feel about it, here's how you should feel about it. In fact, most of the time so far, it seems like Will is trying not to be that guy. He's he's the guy arguing against his coworkers, saying, I know you want to go on the air and advocate for this position, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. Can you honestly say that this episode isn't being preachy when after we finally juggled all of these things, it ends up getting jumbled in Will's head as he's trying to get Dev Patel out of jail, and then he shouts at the top of his voice that he's just arguing for the easiest one? That's that's not preachy, though. Yeah. That's a character. I feel like that is a char- That's something. That's a statement coming out of a character's specific viewpoint. And, you know, what's going through his head. It, it may be blunt. It may not be very subtle. But, uh, you know, preachy is very different. Preachy is like all the freaking monologues we had in the first season, especially the early episodes. Right. And there are two or three scenes, for example, where Will and Don argue about the Troy Davis story. Yeah. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, okay, I'm having to suspend my disbelief here that these guys would both be so up to date on the case that they would be able to argue about it so eloquently. Oh, news people, it is their job. Like, I, I know. You but expect th- your colleagues to be following up on this stuff. That's true. But at the same time, it feels very written. 
but Sorkin's language is usually so nice to hear that I don't really mind that most of the time. And I, I actually I liked it a lot in in this case. Um, I like how Don has his point of view, and he's kind of struggling with: Do I go out on the air and become an advocate and become an activist for a certain point of view? Or do I have to stay within the boundaries of the profession and, and, and ethics? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really interesting conflict. And this is just one more example of why Don is my favorite character in the show by far. Oh, man. <laughs> do you not think that Don is the best character? Uh... Don is the only character on this show who feels like a real person to me, who feels like he exists sure. outside of his relationships with other people in the newsroom. There is something a little more real about him, but he is also hateable, totally hateable, especially in the first season, uh, where basically he had to t- how he had to teach them to to be to be schlocky basically how to be hit whores that that was not the lessons i wanted to see early on he felt like the counterpoint to all the idealism of will and all the other characters so i guess to a certain degree they had to make him a little more real but i don't know i, I he also has a face i just want to punch so <laughs> that no, guy. But i agree with you davinger like don is is the character that 90 percent of the time i want to argue against but Something about the way that his passions came off in this episode. I ended up liking him the most in this episode out of all of the characters. I think this is the first time we really see that he is fighting for something as opposed to just being against everyone else or being for the negative that we're obviously against. You talk about the, the hit whoring or the, or whatever yeah. you want to bring it up to us. Maybe, maybe. If except we know it's all because of how he feels about Maggie and blah blah blah, and it's so stupid. It's like if he actually felt that way about this character or about um, this case organically, I think it'd be a lot more interesting. But uh, you know, it's it's not quite preachy, but it's definitely again very very blunt. Whatever symbolism they're trying to use here. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I think one of the main reasons I like Don so much, though, is that he's a character of contradictions, and you know, as you mentioned. Early in the first season, he was kind of the, if if there was a villain of the show, I guess you could have said it was Don, and he was the guy that was teaching them all those dirty news tricks and and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but you could also tell that to a certain extent, he was jealous of Will and McKenzie, and he kind of wanted to be part of their mission and to do the news the way that they were trying to do it. And you could tell that he had feelings for Maggie, but he was struggling with whether or not those feelings were genuine and or whether or not he, as Sloan at one point said, he just wanted to be a nice guy. And that, to me, is why I think he, he's the most three-dimensional character in the show. He's not always likable, sure, but, sure. but I, I do think he, he's the most three-dimensional. I, I'll give you that. It's just you were calling him your favorite, which is like, ugh. <laughs> that's uh, that's another thing entirely. But yeah, I do agree he's probably the most well-rounded of all these characters. Well, because he's the most well-rounded, I usually find him the most interesting character. <laughs> he's, he's the most interesting part of the show because I never quite know what he's going to do. Is he going to be a good guy this episode or is he going to be an asshole this episode? Right. Does anyone know who Anwar al-Awlaki is? He became a radical imam and organized violence against the U.S. Where's he from? That's the thing. What? He's American. What are you talking about? He's a U.S. citizen. Another American, Samir Khan, was also killed, but it was collateral. He wasn't targeted. Wait, wait, Al-Alaki was targeted? His father was a Fulbright scholar and got a Ph.D. at your alma mater. Anwar studied engineering at Colorado State and education at San Diego State. An American was on the kill list? They get into the uh, drone strike 
debate a little bit this episode, and it's implied that that could be a storyline and an issue that they keep um, touching on throughout this season. And I thought it was interesting that they're deciding to make that a focal point for this season because last season was all about the Tea Party and how much the Tea Party sucks. I think it'll be really interesting if this season it's kind of like, well, here's what Obama is doing that we don't necessarily like. And and for all of the criticism that Sorkin has gotten for the show being liberal propaganda to a certain extent, maybe this is a way in which he can prove to people that while he's definitely political, he might not exactly be partisan. Sure, I can I can see that. I mean, are you guys happy that they're going into this issue and that that could be something they continue to Mm -hmm. touch on? Or do you feel like we've been debating this for so long already that there's no need? They did bring up some of uh, Will's more Republican tendencies in the first season. And I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's like he's definitely he's I think that that's what made him actually interesting to me initially as a Sorkin character, because typically they're all like super progressive liberals and Will was somebody who was trying, you know, he's, he's just, I think a little more realistic, but, uh, I don't know. It didn't feel any different to me. It reminded me of all those instances in season one where, uh, you know, he, he leans a little more conservatively. It's where to me, I would say that this is one of those moments where it feels like a character inconsistency. Like, like how you say it's been, Hmm. he's been ridiculously liberal for the whole of season one, where no matter how much he says Republican, he ends up being very open and, and letting things go and trying to understand as opposed to trying to put down this, this hard fist of right and wrong. Um, and it might be a slight lack of understanding of American politics because it's something that I, <laughs> I, I, I glance at and Caribbean politics is a whole other meld of, of madness. Sure. I don't, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> um, I, I glance at it and I understand it at a certain level, but I don't want to claim to know it. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the way that scene went when it came to the drone strike and that debate and the way that Will kind of attacked it, it felt like it was either one of two things. It was a complete and utter character inconsistency based on who we've gotten for the last 11 episodes, or it happened to be this one nerve that they decided to pinch in this episode where Will isn't ready to be conservative about. And I'm almost ready to take the stance that you took last week, Andrew, with um, with the 9-11 bit where, where Will was angry at being taken off the desk, but we didn't understand why. And I'm just going to be like, I, I, I'm willing to accept that this is just something that he's angry at, but I don't understand why it, it differs from how he reacts to everything else we've seen on the show. Okay, I, I think I'm more with Devendra when it comes to this stuff. I, I, I think that it does feel consistent with the character. Because, yes, he is Republican, and we can't always expect him to be this preaching liberal on the air. So I like that in this episode he he is playing conservative devil's advocate to a certain extent and i do think that it's it's a good reminder to the audience that will isn't it's a bit more difficult to put him in a partisan box especially when he when he cites john dillinger (laughs) right which actually that quote was not from john dillinger and i I like how he's he acknowledges oh it might not have been him (laughs) somebody badass you know i believe it's from in cold blood is that correct devendra 
I, I have no clue, but that sounds right to me. It sounds more correct than John Dillinger. Did. Okay. The last thing I want to touch on before we move on to all the romance stuff that I know you guys just can't wait to talk about is the stuff with Jim on the campaign trail. So far, they haven't been doing a whole lot of it, but again, I liked how they focused a lot on the process of it and how repetitive and redundant it can be. There is a little montage in the middle where he's just at campaign stop after campaign stop after campaign stop. The one thing that didn't really work for me is the moment where he asks uh, Grace Gummer's character, Hallie, for help with his camera, and she just kind of messes up with the camera because she says that they're competitors. And I was just thinking, well, yeah, journalists compete all the time, but they're still decent human beings. (laughs) Oh, you know. uh, (laughs) At least the people I know. (laughs) It depends. It depends. I mean, do we know who she writes for? No, we do not. It just seems like a fun little bit of a uh, bit of antagonism. Like, I don't think she meant anything truly malicious by it. It's just it's kind of fun. I don't know. It, it just kind of bothered me a little bit because it, it just kind of played <laughs> to that idea of, oh, journalism, at least TV journalism, is all about ratings and outranking the competition. And it's all cutthroat. So, I mean, I, I only have the perspective of tech journalism and a bit of the movie side, but uh, it is totally like that. It is pretty cutthroat. You can't, unless you actually know somebody and you're friends with them, and okay, they work for competing publication. Sometimes you can help each other out, but uh, somebody new, I've seen a lot of really asshole-ish things happen in my time. I, I mean, I can understand how they wouldn't help each other when it comes to, like, big things. But when it comes to small sure. things, like setting up a camera, you know. <laughs> come on, Andrew. Andrew, come on. You have, to, you have to think about it this way. This way, he will never ask her again. <laughs> He's learned his lesson, right? That's what you hope. But you know it's not going to happen. You know that this is the next Maggie for her, for him, right? And you kind of wanted to stay away from the romance, but that's where we're uh. going. But before I talk about that, right, we all know that guy, right? That guy who reads out every story in the office. <laughs> Why? Why does he do that? <laughs> I did. I like that bit because they're like, we're, we're all reading it. Shut up, please. <laughs> Especially in news organizations. Uh, everybody does that. But it's like, yeah, we're getting all the alerts at the same time. Chillax. I, I shout out headlines. I think that's a better way to do it, Louise. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I agree to a certain extent with, with what you're both saying. But I don't know. It just seemed really weird to me. Like, as a film critic, I know if I have a question or if I'm struggling with something, I can call up other film critics for advice or, you know, for an opinion or for a well, help. Here lies the, the, thing, here lies the thing, Andrew. Mm-hmm. It, with, with film criticism and to, a, to an extent a lot of other journalism, th- what you're talking about is the opinion side of it, which is yeah. completely objective and everyone is allowed to go at their own pace to a certain degree yeah. in that regard. And it's okay. You're all competitors, but at the same time, it's almost like you're already in your own corner of yeah. the of the of the journalism world. You're not really rushing to report facts. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you may do some news when you're the first person to report a fact. And and mm-hmm. this is another thing which you'll find in every form of journalism is that the first person is very important because that's the person who gets linked to, and that's the person who gets the most traffic, and that's the person who gets the most notoriety, and that's the person who every other story has to say quoted from him and that is what they're all fighting for yes they all are there at the ground and you'd imagine that they'd kind of see it as relatively even but it isn't 
and <laughs> they're gonna be competitors at that level. I understand that there's going to be competitors. I just, maybe I'm too much of an optimist. I like to believe that even journalists can take the time out to help another person. Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Really depends. It depends on certain things. And the Romney thing, I mean, that's technically a whole big campaign because the whole reason everybody's there and people give up their lives to follow those things is that you get that one thing, that one thing that can blow an entire campaign and uh, uh, unfortunately for Romney, it happened online with the Mother Jones video. But, uh, you know, people, that's what they're working for. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one. But we all agree. She's the next Maggie, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. That's a good way to segue to our main topic, which will be all this romance stuff and everything going on with Maggie. Before I give my thoughts, Devendra... What did you think about this episode and and how it's all sort of blowing up in Maggie's face? I mean, this all happened. It needed to happen at some point. So I'm glad it's kind of all happening at once to a certain degree. And we're not dragging this out throughout the entire season. That's what I hate the most with shows like this is uh, if there's a plot element I don't like, don't don't take six episodes to finish it or work through it please you know hit it and move on and uh you know we'll see we'll see how it goes from there i like the fact that they're just trying to hit it straightforward but at the same time it just seems they're setting up a lot more complications and they're going to drag on other things like will uh those other two folks get together so olivia munn's character and dude i want to (laughs) punch do you agree andrew why does sloan have to like dawn because dawn is Uh, the is the best character on the show that is one of the bigger problems like i never understood why uh they set up this crush for her but uh i i do like the fact that they set up that she is bad at relationships that's kind of uh just kind of interesting for her andrew you t- you mentioned don is your favorite character you know sloan is mine <laughs> i know sloan like, is she's, yours <laughs> she's perfect right? her own weirdness is perfect and i don't need her next to don <laughs> I, I don't need i know she's your dream girl andrew but you just gotta let her go okay yeah i can totally buy that she would be interested in don because even though occasionally he can be a dick i feel like underneath it all don is a nice guy and he is trying to do the right sure. thing and he might even be too nice at, at, at certain times i can buy that and we've seen sloan be kind of aggressive and crazy so i guess maybe they'd be a good match um while we're throwing out favorite characters i have to say uh it's it's all about charlie skinner guys charlie skinner <laughs> is where it's at if you were in the show he's the one you want to be because he, uh, at least in season one, I think he had the best lines, typically. Yeah, yeah, I would I would. Agree I just love you. seeing Sam Waterston, like, freak the hell out and start cursing. Well, I just want Terry Crews to show back up, and then we can, oh, yeah. then we can have the Don Sloan-Terry Crews love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, let's not. <laughs> Who would be the top on that one? <laughs> now we're getting to weird places. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I still feel like Maggie is by far the weakest character. And even, you know, in this episode, she's given some funny stuff to do, like track someone through Foursquare. But mm-hmm. she just, it seems like everything in her life. That's the extent of her journalism, by the way, is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Tracking down this person. She knows who... how long a, a, a dry cycle takes. <laughs> 
I mean, the the whole thing, like, the show definitely shits on her character a lot. Um, probably because, you know, when, in season one, like, they set it up that, what, she was, like, the intern or she was the assistant and slowly, like, or pretty quickly they shoved her into the newsroom. And then, um, yeah, we had other stuff, too, like Jim's character. He was, like, the, the audience. They were both, like, different ways for the audience to really get to know this world. Jim was the slightly more capable one, but I do think it doesn't it doesn't look good that Maggie it's still at this point is still acting pretty silly and has some of the dumbest things to do during the show. You know, I I argue against people who say that this show is um misogynistic. I think that really came out of that really terrible interview um Sorkin did where he said stupid stuff and uh, I think it, he said something like um listen here blogger girl or something like that right. when he was talking to, you know, a girl who worked for an actual newspaper. He's an idiot sometimes. He's an asshole as well, just like his characters can be. But uh, I do think um, Sorkin has made some of the most interesting female characters in TV. And uh, this show actually has some good ones as well. Like, uh, I do think um, Sloane is interesting. And I like Mackenzie. I think Mackenzie is a really interesting character, even though she's a little crazy sometimes and maybe a little hysterical. I also think in season one, Everybody was a little hysterical. The guys, the girls, it was a weird heightened world that we were living in. I mean, there's this weird thing that I noticed watching this episode where the three female characters, there's Max, Sloan, and Maggie, that they get these, each of them get their own silly joke moment where mm-hmm. it's kind of played on them slash um, laughing towards themselves. I mean, you have Mac with the Genoa joke with the difference between um, the ship and the country. You have Sloane with the wonderful moment of two rings means that they didn't want to talk to you. Sure. Except that's not always true, by the way. It's, it's not always true, but it, it's this moment where the when you realize that and that line that she has. Yeah, it's like, I have to rethink my whole life now or something. <laughs> yeah, and and that's a moment where it's funny and we, we enjoy it. And it's kind of weird that it, how it reflects on that character. But at the same time, it does it in a positive way. Like, we don't think poorly of her. We just kind of see it as a quirk. But at the same time, when we're talking about Maggie, where we where we realize that as as you talked about, Foursquare is the the extent of her of her journalistic <laughs> prowess. We continually decide that that's that's the low rung of the female characters we're talking about here. <laughs> well, I mean, she has some really... I, I think she really showed that she knew what she was doing when um, Mackenzie was quizzing her about Africa and like, are you really ready for this? But at the same time, I think her decision to go amidst eminent violence, like assured violence. It's not like just a threat at this point. She's clearly walking directly into danger. That bit kind of annoyed me. Yeah, and they never really clarify what exactly is it about Africa. Why Why Africa? Why is this the place that she wants to escape to? Um, is she just that desperate? Africa is just like the first thing that, that came to mind. I think, well, no, they set it up in the first episode where uh, she talks to uh, other dude, um, the new guy. She was asking him how to make the story interesting. And he said, you know, make it personal, make it relevant or make it about us to a certain degree. And that's really what it is. Like at that point, she thinks um, Africa is where the next big war, the next big conflict is going to be happening. And uh, maybe it's not quite the judgment, but there was definitely a lot of instability there during the time. And it's still now. So, um, yeah, it would make sense for somebody who wants to really make their mark in journalism to try to go there and explore the situation. I, I think the Africa stuff with Maggie could be 
interesting. I'm, I'm, I have mixed feelings about how they're leading into it. And I still feel like everything with her character is just related to the men in her life, even this decision to go yeah, to Africa. Yeah. She, she's by far the weakest character. And I agree with you, Mackenzie and Sloane are stronger characters, but I still don't feel like they're even close to someone like... C.J. Craig from yes, West Wing. C.J. Yeah. Or Dana from Sports Night. Right. No, you're right. right. You're right. They're not as good. Like, everything about the show is not as good as what Sorkin has done before, but it's, it's more popcorn fun for me. It doesn't quite have the weight of the West Wing. Sports Night worked better for me, too, because it was the first time I was really, like, seeing this guy's style and meeting these characters. And also, I mean, by this point, we can also tell that he's reused plot points quite a bit throughout all of his work. Um, so with Sports Night, that was the first time we saw many of those plot points, so it felt a little fresher. Right. I, I agree with you. I think the complaints of misogyny were at times taken a bit too far in season one, but I can see why they were there. I don't think they were completely unmerited. A, a lot of the female characters really are one-dimensional or two-dimensional at most. To a certain extent, that's true sure. of all the characters. Though. Yeah, I think that's the bigger problem. Yeah, it's not just the female characters who are truly... Some of them aren't that great. I agree. Um, but that's also true of some of the guys. Many of the guys, actually. I actually think that Lisa is probably the strongest female character in the show. I mean, in season one, we saw that she actually has a life and a job that that, that she's passionate about. She's not part of this world. Right. And in this episode, she is the one who can cut Maggie off and say, I'm done with all this drama. I do think that she is probably the most three-dimensional female character on the show so far, which is weird since she has such a minor role compared to everyone else. Hmm. Okay. I like how with all this relationship stuff, there's a part of me that hates it just because it's so melodramatic at times. But then there's another part of me that actually likes that we're seeing the fallout of all of this. I mean, if Jim and Maggie were the stereotypical sitcom romance, you know, it's very, in season one, it played out very similar to the Mm -hmm. Jim and Pam storyline on The Office, for example. I mean, that was Jim Halper, this is Jim Harper. (laughs) So there's a part of me that wonders if Sorkin was was, was thinking of that. I like how they're sort of steering away from typical rom-com territory and saying, well, yeah, you can feel like you're you're meant for somebody or you should leave your current partner to be with someone else, but that is going to have consequences and that's going to hurt a lot of people. And we have to witness that. It, it's it, Even though Sorkin at times likes to paint the news in broad strokes or be overly optimistic about certain things, when it comes to the relationships... I feel like he he's letting us see that it, it's not this fantasy where everything's going to work out nicely. You mean like you mean like Mac and and Will? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I don't even know what to make of of, of their little of their history. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad that they haven't brought that up really yet so far in this season. Jim? Yeah. Hi. Hang on a second. I'm fine, thanks, but I need to tell you something. There's a YouTube video of me shouting at the bus. I'm sorry, it's kind of loud in here. I can't really shout right now. Okay, hang on. Are you still there? 
Yeah, but I'm getting on the elevator now. What were you saying? There's a YouTube video of me shouting at the bus. The whole thing. Are you there? Yeah. You remember what I said, right? Yeah. I'm taking care of it. I'm going to get it taken down. I just wanted you to know. Has Lisa seen it? No. Is Don? <clears throat> Maggie? Yeah. Has Don seen it? Yeah. Are you guys all right? I'm moving back in with Lisa. Shit. I gotta go. I should call Don. I wouldn't do that. I think he'd have just... And he's having a hard time with Troy Davis. He's so. a really good guy, and I screwed him. I've got I, it all I, covered, okay? Maggie. I screwed him. You were on a bus. One last thing about the stuff with Maggie stalking someone on, on Foursquare. I did think it was really hilarious that the show acknowledged that a tweet has become like currency <laughs> to a certain extent yeah. and followers and yeah yes yeah. yes we don't we're not going to give you money but we will give you a retweet if you do what we want i i'm, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if we're going to start to see more of that where maybe in future mob movies it'll be like well you you didn't give us the retweet that we wanted so we're going to break your legs you know well it's it's about information right? right before it used to be like you give me a shout out while on the air or something um now it's like this girl was so concerned about her blog and i thought that was hilarious right and it was a sex in the city blog <laughs> fan fiction too I love so many, like, geeky things coming together here. I don't know what it is about HBO, but it seems like lately they love to reference their previous success with <laughs> Sex in the City. I mean, Girls had a lot of Sex in the City references. The newsroom oh, sure. has constant. Girls was directly influenced by that whole thing. I think I, Sorkin's just having fun with it, too. They're lobbying for the third movie. Here in New York, it still has, like, a towering influence for people. Do you feel like he's being condescending towards fans of the show a little bit i mean maybe but that is the typical response to sex and city right and right. Uh, especially somebody who writes fan fiction i think the bigger thing is like anybody writing fan fiction we don't take them seriously right that's that's a good point andrew did you have any additional thoughts on the romance stuff or maggie stalking people on foursquare I mean, it was weird how the show um, decided to to deal with social media. I mean, we talk about its usage of YouTube, its usage of Twitter. You you mentioned the the currency, but just even as they bring up um, show retention, audience retention, um, and the usage of the Twitter that they ended up taking off because of the the breaking news um, of the the death. The romance itself, it kind of felt like everything was whittling down and it was only these small hints to what we might be seeing towards the for towards the the future there's the jim and his his compatriot his competitor on the road there's sloan and don where it kind of felt really weird maybe it's just because we have that perspective of knowing that sloan is interested in don or had a crush on and don also sloan is being really helpful to maggie too so it's like oh there's going to be some fallout here at some point yeah but i mean just just the way that she kind of just not just helps maggie but she kind of just appears at don's side and is like hey you all right you good <laughs> I- i'll talk to you in a week right I don't know if it's just that my brain is set that way and something's wrong with me as opposed to Sloane, but it's just that was there as I was watching it. And then even Lisa and and Maggie where that, I really want to say, great scene where she's just like, look, sadly, we can't live alone, so 
this is how it's going to go from now. And there's nothing really negative to say about the relationship stuff, mainly because there wasn't any of the things we've been negative about for the last season of this show in here. It was just all resolution to a certain effect, and that's all. Right, and I'm kind of worried that the Jim Maggie stuff is going to continue throughout the entire series, and that's going to be like the big romantic subplot that they just string out for forever. Who knows? Maybe by the time we get to the future, Jim's dead or something, you know? (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Yeah, he went to Africa to rescue Maggie and something horrible happened. Um, I bet money he runs in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honestly, at this point, I just, I hope hope Sloan and Don get together. I hope Jim and Hallie get together. I think every predictable union you can think of will happen. Well, and yeah, well, I, and I hope, I hope Maggie finds someone in Africa to get together with, (laughs) and I just hope they leave Jim and Maggie behind forever. Probably won't happen, but that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Mm. (laughs) All right. um, Do either of you have anything else you'd like to say about this episode? Anything else that you thought was interesting or you think we should touch on? Um, I mean, I think we, we kind of delved into it quite a bit. Um, I do want to say again, Def Patel, I, I like that they're diving into Occupy Wall Street and going to be int- really interesting to see how they dealt with it just because I guess it's one of the things where I remember just being here and it's a very local story and seeing how all the news built up and how, you know, if people finally started paying attention. It took people getting arrested and the cops being kind of brutal about it for people to pay attention. So I like that the show kind of represented that. Yeah, I, I like how they handled that. And I like how we're seeing more of Aya Cash's character. Um, and it looks like yeah. she could be a potential love interest for Neil. <laughs> it's a pretty generic setup. So it's gonna happen. <laughs> I feel like uh, if, if things continue this way, then by season five, we're, we're going to have to have some sort of, chasing amy moment where will just comes in and says all right guys the only way to fix this is we all have to have sex with each other if things continue in this direction it's just going to keep getting more and more complicated with all these romantic entanglements all right andrew did you have anything else you wanted to say about this episode i'm just happy that this show reminded me that it's always a bad idea to google yourself (laughs) always a bad idea with your note, Devinger, I have, I have a slight question. You, you kind of mentioned early on about how, with the show's framing idea, framing of the the flashback, that it might be kind of taking a couple cues more from Lost than anything else. And I don't know if you really meant that seriously, and I don't think you did, but do you think, therefore, that Chris Messina is the polar bear hair? <laughs> To a certain extent. What's really weird about seeing the newsroom now is that Christmas Cena, you know, I haven't really seen him in too much stuff. But, yeah, we set him up as the bad guy in the first season. Then I saw Mindy Project. And I don't know if you guys have been watching that show. I love but that show. amazing and hilarious in Mindy Project. So I'm really conflicted now yeah. when I see Christmas Cena. He may be the polar bear. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I recently saw that movie from last year, um, Celeste and Jesse Forever. And he was in that and he was uh-huh. he was kind of a nice guy in that as well. So I'm with you, Devendra. I'm I'm conflicted. <laughs> so confusing. I also speaking of uh, people we love. Where's Natalie Morales? I really enjoyed seeing her. I'm not sure if you guys saw The Middleman. Uh, that was a great TV show, a really great geeky show. Uh, very short lived that she starred in. Um, and I just I like seeing her and stuff. And I also love that she was with Deb Patel. Guys got play. It's cool. Which which show was The Middleman, remind me? I think I may have seen one or two episodes. I, I've heard of the it. The Middleman was, I don't know, it's sort of like Doctor Who, 
meets the X Files. It's about okay, um, yes. It, it basically, yeah, yeah. They're you know super villains and monsters are real, and this girl who's kind of skilled in certain things um, teams up with a guy to fight them, and it's awesome. It is the geekiest thing you'll ever see, <laughs> um, but nobody's seen it because it was on ABC Family. Yes, okay. I know. I know what show you're talking about. I have seen one or two episodes, and I've been meaning to go back and, and see the rest. That show is amazing. Okay. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Navigating the Newsroom. Uh, we would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at navigatingthenewsroom at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. Don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our latest weekly podcast all about the final season of the Showtime series, Dexter, Avenging Angels. Devendra, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, it was great being here, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. Uh, I podcast about movies and TV every week at slashfilm.com, and I write about technology every day at venturebeat.com. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? All of my stuff you can find via Twitter. I'm at gmanreviews on my website, gmanreviews.com, where I do all sorts of film-related things. You can go and read and listen and enjoy. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, and follow our arguments. Because, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll find oh, something man. else to argue about very soon. You, you just called Man of Steel your favorite movie of the yes, year. Yes, I did. Oh, well, man. Well, oh, oh. So much disappointment. I cannot contain it all. <laughs> I've been ranking all the movies I see this year, Andrew, and I think out of, like, 110 movies or something, Man of Steel is number 90-something. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand it's definitely in one of my top lists of biggest disappointments oh. this year for sure laser yeah. eyes guys laser <laughs> eyes <sighs> all right well you can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com and moviemezzanine.com you can also follow me on twitter at writer andrew if you do follow me be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener and i will follow you back that'll wrap it up for this episode i'm andrew johnson I think I'm Andrew Robinson. Uh, Andrew, why don't you sign us off? At the end of the day, guys, you just gotta remember that Willie Nelson fixes everything. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!